Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey, man, it's me, Kevin Smith, Silent Bob, and all those terrible Jane Silent Bob type pictures, man. You're listening to Drop the Mic, the only podcast that I listen to that I'm not a part of. Every podcast I listen to, I usually talk on it, but not fucking Drop the Mic. That's where I'm like, let me hear what the boys have to say. And now we drop the mic. Did you know the very first... Uh, hey, se- I'm so sorry about that. Sorry, Mama. Safety meeting. Yeah. Alistair P. Haywood, and he is my great-great-grandfather. There's another great-grandfather. Uh, and I'm Emerald Haywood. I direct, write, produce, act. I do a little smooth on the side. Uh, motorcycles, baby. Look, I, I make me grilled cheese. Look at the crafty. Just, just holler at me. Welcome back to our humble San Diego podcast. We are your host, the Swan, Ryan Jimenez, and please give a warm welcome for CJ Stevenson, who's back on the show after a pretty long while. What's up, man? How are you? I'm doing pretty good. You guys got all fancy on me. You got the same director, Kevin Smith, to be your intro now, I see. Oh, you you heard that, huh? Yeah, I heard that. Of course I heard that. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, well, that means a lot coming from you, man. So, thank you for that. Oh, thank you. It, it should mean more uh, coming from Kevin Smith, but I'll take it. <laughs> all right. So, this is episode three hundred and five, a bad miracle, where we'll all uh, be discussing writer director Jordan Peele's latest effort, Nope. But before we get into the film, let's warm up um, all our listeners with a few of the usual uh, intro segments, shall we? And now for a special news report, brought to you by Drop the Mic. Uh, I don't know if you guys covered this, but uh, Justin Roiland, uh, the co-creator of uh, Rick and Morty, has been gone under some some heavy fire for uh, some allegations of domestic violence. Um, there's a pretty lengthy piece in the Hollywood Reporter that sort of dictates. Um, what his um, his behavior was, he was allegedly trying to solicit um, underage girls for uh, sexual uh, favors. He apparently, according to this report, he had little to do with the show outside of being the voices of, of uh, Rick and Morty. Um, and by the third season, he and Dan Harmon reportedly like hated working with each other um it's a pretty lengthy piece it describes all the stuff that was going on behind the scenes that we weren't 
uh, privy to. I recommend you guys reading it. It was on the Hollywood Reporter piece um, that is really interesting and kind of um, uh, disturbing to read about his um, uh, all the stuff that he did. Uh, did you guys know about all this stuff beforehand? Or Yeah, I read that article as well. Um, yes, it, it's... I'm glad um, Cartoon Network did the right thing and, and fucking kicked that guy to the curb. <clears throat> um, yeah, he lost his deal with... He just had a video game come out that he lost his deal with that. He lost his deal. He lost his deal at Hulu and they're going to be replacing him on Rick and Morty's Solar Opposites and his new show about a koala bear that stars Hugh Jackman. He was reportedly supposed to be voicing a recurring character, but he... His character got killed off for some uh, behavior stuff that was going on. But yeah, yeah, I agree, Ryan. It, it's good to see that the Cartoon Network is uh, taking a stand and uh, kick them out. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. deservedly so, it seems. And it's going to be interesting to see, uh, you know, because they're going to recast those voices. It's going to be interesting to see um, how they do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, who they get and stuff like that. Yeah, be, uh, I, th- I was thinking about this the other day. It'd be funny for them to do like a, a like something completely different. Because I know a lot of people want them to kind of get you know someone who can do those voices. But how right. fucking hilarious would it be to get just get like random comedians and shit to fucking voice them like every other episode or or, or every episode <laughs> someone different? Yeah, that'd be cool. Uh, they should get like Rob Schneider. He's not doing anything, right? <laughs> Rob Schneider's not doing a damn thing. So if you get Rob Schneider to voice uh, Morty, you know, that'd be cool. Um, another thing is, I don't know if you guys have seen the Netflix film You People. I watched it. Uh, not good. Um, the an and, and actor who was in the film was on set. I guess one of the the last scene is of Jonah Hill and Woman London's character um, at their wedding. And reportedly, their kiss was CGI. That was not them actually kissing. Um, reportedly, on set, the the guy who was an actor in the film was on set, and he watched them get like within thirty centimeters of each other before they were supposed to kiss. The guy called cut. The director called cut. And I, I guess if you watch the scene, it's CGI. Um, says the actor. Um, I don't remember this part of the movie. I kind of checked out by the by the time the wedding came, but I, it wouldn't surprise me because Jonah Hill and Lauren London's character don't really have any real sexual chemistry. Um, they felt like kind of like cool friends and not really um, people that people that you can see uh, bumping uh, uh, bellies with. So. Um, <laughs> Uh, this is pretty interesting. It, it would be pretty interesting. No one from the film has denied or confirmed this. It's just some actor who was on set. So that's something interesting. Um, I don't know if you guys have talked about the recent uh, DC news at all. Um, but um, it's just a bunch of shows that are being made uh there's a new uh batman movie that, that's not going to be ben affleck and it's not going to be robert pattinson there's still going to be the robert the robert uh pattinson batman movies but it's going to be in its own universe i mean james gunn takeover of the dc slate with 
producer Peter Saffer, they announced out ten-year plan. They have released part of the first chapter of their plan, um, and it includes uh, a Supergirl movie based off of the graphic novel Supergirl: World of Tomorrow, written by Tom King, who the way that I describe Tom King is he's like the Quentin Tarantino of comic books right now. Like he, um, he's got that kind of, he's got that type of a personality and style to him and stuff like that. Um, so, um, and then after they had announced this slate, a bunch of the graphic novels that they are adapting sold out on, uh, sold out on various uh, platforms. Um, so it shows that the public is really interested in what DC has to um, has to uh, say, which is, I think, uh, a good sign for them. Um, my last one is there is, I don't know if you guys touched on this, there is a remake of I Know What You Did Last, oh, I'm sorry, there was a sequel of I Know What You Did Last Summer in the works, written by Jennifer Katie Robinson. Um, she is a screenwriter um, of some note. She recently helped Taika Waititi write the abysmal screenplay for Thor Love and Thunder. Um, <laughs> I, I don't blame her. I blame uh, Taika Waititi because he sucks. <laughs> Whoa, um, what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, you guys don't know? Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's wrong. Um, I, I do not like He's a fucking fraud. Um, but she's but she's writing and possibly directing remake of I Know What You Did Last Summer. I Know What You Did Last Summer um, is a 90s horror movie that was, I, I believe, the it's the same writer of Scream, Kevin Williamson, right? Right, uh, Wesley? Yes, is that is writer? absolutely yeah. correct. Um, it came out came out after Scream, right? Yes, it was uh, pretty much yeah. like a follow-up to Scream. Yep. Yes. Um, I think he wrote the script before Scream, but it came out after Scream and as a part of his like post-wave of sort of like redefining what far was for um, that generation. Um, so uh, I don't have the most steep nostalgia for I Know What You Did Last Summer. I think I may have seen it once, um, but it's a part of this wave of like 90s nostalgia um you know they're getting desperate when they have announced a sequel to twister is being made by the guy who directed monari and i'm not making that up uh that's how fuck hollywood is right now <laughs> um that we're gonna take this guy that with this beautiful quiet film about his family and the experience of being new new in some foreign country and we're gonna make him do a Film about people who chase storms, and you know that's just what you know. Uh, so, so it's all fun, but uh, you know, um, I guess we can look forward to a remake to a sequel that nobody asked for. It's you know. all right. Let me piggyback off of that real quick because um, that was one of my only bits of news. But <clears throat> so it's going to be a legacy sequel. Um, and I think it's because they did have, I think it was on prime, um, a short lived series for, I know what you did last summer where they tried to modernize everything and yeah, obviously it didn't, it didn't pan out cause it's already canceled. Um, 
you didn't you left out that uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt and Freddie Prince Jr. are in talks. That's right. They are in talks. I mean, of course they're gonna do it. What, what the fuck are they doing right now? What's what what is Freddie Prince Jr. doing right now? Not a goddamn thing. Of course he's gonna do this. He's <laughs> uh he's he's um he's involved in the wrestling world, no, Ryan? Uh, he um, is. He's sure. trying to get his own wrestling uh, promotion going. Where um, the actors are—he wants the actors actually in the Screen Actors Guild, Guild and the unions. Oh, okay. Well, that's a nice little fight for him to fight. You know? <laughs> um, we're all good. Oh, okay. Uh, this is my question. Do you think this announcement has anything to do with the Scream Legacy sequel? to the legacy sequel that came before being so uh, well-received that they were like, I don't know, uh, what else? Do, well, from from uh, what I movie? from what I read, um, somebody pitched uh, a really good um, premise to bring this franchise back. And the thing that I have is, so we got to know what you did last summer. We got, I still know what you did last summer. And then they released a straight-to-DVD um, kind of one-off uh third installment that was supposed to be um an end to the trilogy but we got like this kind of bootleg version that was called i all i'll always know what you did um so i feel like the fans were kind of cheated out of that and i think that was released back in 2006 if i'm not mistaken so we never really got the closing piece to to that puzzle so it makes sense that they would do this and i have there's no doubt in my mind that it is because it's they're riding the trend of Scream and Halloween and, you know, soon to be a Nightmare on Elm Street and Jason and all these people coming back. So it makes sense that they would try to bring this back. I just hope that it's done with, um, like, authentically, I guess, to the people who enjoyed at least the first one. So long as they don't call it the same title as the first movie, which these legacy sequels have been doing, and it pisses me off. <laughs> I don't know why... It, it, I don't know why the last Scream remake isn't just called Scream, Scream uh, or is it Scream 5? I don't know why it's not just called Scream 5. I don't... I, 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 I don't understand that. Um, I don't think that they anticipated being able to come back and tell another story, and that's why they called it, you know, what they called it, just Scream, just like Halloween is just Halloween 2018 now. Um, but stupid. they could have you know, just easily throwing a subtitle under it and, and made it its own. So, yeah, it is kind of bizarre that, that that's a trending thing as well. New Line uh, recently won a bidding war for director Zach Kreger's next film, Weapons. Um, Zach Kreger, obviously, he... What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Um, wrote and directed Barbarian was a, was a huge fucking success at the box office. Um, and New Line actually beat out Jordan Peele for that movie. Um, oh, so Monkey Paul wanted it. Yeah. Yes. I read this. I read the uh, the article that detailed this. Apparently, Jordan Peele was pissed yeah. <laughs> uh, that he didn't get it. But apparently, it was because if they get it, they would have had to raise the budget. And Blumhouse and Universal, they weren't comfortable with the budget that the film was projected at, so they passed. And New Line swept it up. I think which is, this which is, is part, crazy. Um, yeah, which is pretty crazy. But I think this is New Line trying to make Zach Kreger their uh, Jason Blum, basically, because I know he's also, I think I read somewhere that he's also setting up a production company at New Line, and he's already have another film that he's going to produce. Or it's either a film or a TV show uh, that he's going to produce. So they're trying to make him their new uh, Jason Blum. But uh, good on him. The, the the crazy thing about Barbarian is Barbarian was supposed to be released on Hulu, and it was not supposed to go to um, uh, uh, theaters. Uh, that was just a film that was just just supposed to go to Hulu, and the studio that released it thought that they would just take a chance, and they marketed it really, really well, and they did an old-school marketing campaign for horror movies, which is basically like we're not going to tell you what this movie's about, but this is some fucked up shit. And that was basically the marketing. Uh, and it worked. And uh, the, the film is a huge hit and it's probably the most successful horror film of that year. Um, I have a shameful thing to admit and that I still have not seen this movie. So, <laughs> um, so yeah. Um, yeah, dude, it's crazy. Uh, good for him, though. And I know... Yeah, a lot of extra cash in his pockets now. Not an extra cash. Yeah. Um, moving forward, I know it's something we, we talked about um, a couple episodes ago, um, but it was new. It was a uh, news broke, you know, that Matthew Lillard was going to be in the um, Five Nights at Freddy's movie for Blumhouse. Um, it was just announced that he's actually signed a three-picture deal with Blumhouse and Universal for for that Five Nights at Freddy's franchise, which is crazy that they're going to make three movies. We're just that. fucking... <laughs> it's just, we're just fucking screwed, man. That's what it is. We're just fucking screwed. Um, but to be honest, dude, I'm fucking... I don't know anything about the video game. I, I've talked about it before, but uh, my godson is, like, super into those video games, and it kind of, like, brought him into that realm of liking horror stuff. So it's I'm stoked for, like, the little kids who get to see this shit and it, it kind of um maybe we get um some young kid in in that theater and he becomes the next jordan pill i don't know but it's cool for matthew lillard as well well who knows wes we might maybe we might be seeing matthew lillard on the big screen in a month or two yeah you you never know now right <laughs> um let's see what else do i got <clears throat> Uh, so Blind Spotting was just announced. Um, it's second season. It's set to premiere on April 14th on Stars. 
Um, if you haven't already seen the movie and the TV show, they are both still streaming it on Stars. Please, please, please go and watch that movie and series because they are both fucking superb. Uh, can I just say something that uh, depresses me about that yes. movie? Um, the director of that movie, um, I don't know his name off the top of my head, but he's he has been hired to do a, a remake of uh, Disney's Rock, uh, Robin Hood. Um, so, you know, that's the state of movies. Anyway. This guy comes on the screen and he makes a really cool, highly, you know, really inventive um, movie about gentrification and race relations. And, and uh, the mouse sees that movie and it's like, come, come remake Robin Hood. So, you know. Didn't didn't we, are, we are. Did, didn't we already uh, get some kind of like Robin Hood reboot with Jamie Fox, right? Yes, but this is the animated Robin Hood movie where it's the talking fox. Oh, that's what he's remaking. Oh, okay. Yes, okay. okay. Yeah, that's what he's remaking. So I mean, you know, um, I'm all about you know. Don't try to defend this, Ryan. <laughs> Look it. Don't, he's a brown. Don't dude. try to I'm be optimistic about I'm going to defend them to get the. Don't try to be optimistic about bigger. this. He also yeah, did that's right on the Last Dragon for Disney, so I'm pretty Which, sure that's you know, why he, he's back. We all remember that movie, right? Oh wait, no, we. Because <laughs> <laughs> the came I was so mad. I was so mad. I was so excited for that movie, and I watched that movie, and I'm like, "This is the most boring." I could have watched the Last Avatar, you know. I don't know. You you yeah, thought yeah. you thought X was boring, so I don't. I question your taste it in is. Terms, CJ. It is boring. <laughs> I'll just um, you know what? I'll just go watch a seventies horror film. Thanks, Tyler. <laughs> cool. I like seventies horror films. Let me do this all my. I can just watch a seventies horror movie. <laughs> huh? <laughs> Leave me alone. Go away, Tyler. This is a perfect leeway into my last bit of news, which I think that. CJ is going to find um, he's going to find it good that I'm reporting on this. Um, so, Knock at the Cabin debuted at number one at the box office with a little over 14 million in its debut. Um, it's a little low for an M Night Shyamalan movie. I think all his movies have debuted at number one. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but um, you know what I'm about to say. It finally dethroned that oh, live okay. action. Piece of shit, Fern Gully remake. Ah, uh, you get the fuck off the mic. <laughs> get the fuck off the mic. Don't you dare talk about Jim Cameron. Uh, oh, we do not disparage Big Jim on this podcast. Avatar: The Way of Water. Avatar: The Way of Water is my number four favorite film of the year. Um, hold on. Yeah, uh, it's uh, Fern Gully. You like Fern Gully? That's what you like. Fucking no, I like good shit, which is what Avatar: The Way of Water is. <laughs> It's fucking good easily, shit. You could have easily rented out a movie theater. That movie is Dancing with Wolves. Is so good. It's my number five. It's my number five <laughs> of 2022. That is a good movie. I wish those fucking soulless Marvel movies had half his wit <laughs> and scope and spectacle as <laughs> Avatar does. And you know that's why. That's why it's like the number four or five highest grossing film of all time because people saw this movie and be like, thank God. Someone can finally make a blockbuster right. You know? <laughs> I don't have to I don't have to sit through Marvel doing a live action remake of Spy Kids 3 with Ant-Man. 
and take his visual cues from Spy Kids 3, which is hero that nobody gives a shit about. Let me ask you a question, a real question, DJ. This is I'm like being real, like this is this is <laughs> I wanna open something up a little bit, DJ. Okay. <clears throat> okay. <clears throat> Did you like Titanic? Uh I do like Titanic, yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And you obviously like the first avatar and you like this this second avatar. I like the <laughs> second one more, yes. Uh the, the second you like the second one more. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I will I will tell you this. If you take away aliens and you take away Terminator, what else does this man have? Just Avatar, right? In Titan? He has Avatar, he has Titanic, the Abyss. He has the Abyss. Mm-hmm. Uh he still has a cool career. But that's like saying if you take away Jaws and Jurassic Park with a still there. He still has a fucking banger career. And actually you can his... probably take away aliens from him because Ridley Scott gave him that. Right? I'm I'm not gonna get into a debate about this. <laughs> You're trying to lead the wit uh, Your Honor, this guy is leading the witness. Um uh, and I object. <laughs> I have come on this podcast to, to talk about nope and he is <laughs> trying to get me to fall into a trap and discourage Big Jim. And you're just mad that he did it again. That's all you're You're just mad that he did it again. I, I'm not mad. I, I didn't see it. Dethroned that god awful Spider Man No Way Home that nobody talks about anymore because we all realized that, that was a god awful movie. And we, and, uh, we were all clapping like steel because Toby McGuire was in. That's it. <laughs> On a, a serious note, I am. I am glad that it seems like uh, Shyamalan has came back. It seems like the public has kind of re, kind of not if if not fully embraced them, they are willing to give them the benefit of the doubt now. You know. Oh yeah. Um, I I feel like after Lady in the Water, and especially after the last Airbender he was like a, a mockery and then he comes out with the, the visit but i feel like most notably split was the thing that kind of like brought him back mm-hmm. and uh say what you will about uh glass which is a movie that i really like and uh, defend i think it's crazy that he got to do that movie and that he got to do exactly what he wanted with that movie and that and that the audience is what to go see it like i think that movie made like 200 million dollars so I think it's cool that, you know, who who was once promised like the next Spielberg has now shed that has now shed the burden of that and it and just gets to tell the cool stories that uh, that he wants. So um I'm excited. Um, it's good that I look forward uh, to seeing uh knock at the captain soon. It's also good that um be, because of all of that, like you said, that that's the reason why he has to finance all his movies. And yes. he bets on himself all the time, and he it went he wins because his movies have been making even old. I think old he did it for like ten million, and it made like almost a hundred million. Um, and so, that was that was kind of like during the second wave of the pandemic, like, and people still went out to see it. It's kind of yeah. like when Christopher Nolan's last movie, uh, Tenet, came out, like during the height of the pandemic and that movie almost made $400 million, you know, mm-hmm. like, um, it just shows you how big of a draw these guys are. Oh yeah. Um, uh, still, even when, even under the most 
dire circumstances. I wanted to talk about um, AMC and their little stunt. Uh, oh, fuck this shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They're trying to stupid shit. Yeah, man. trying to uh raise up prices for the the good seats uh, in the, all the houses. Um I think that they're already overpriced, so I think it's kind of a big slap in the face um for people for the middle class. It's kind of like saying fuck you and and that's why I tend to go to other chains um unless you know, unless AMC's playing something exclusively, like an example would be The Whale. I had to go see it at AMC cuz only AMC had it at that time um but them doing this especially with them just getting out of the bankruptcy thing and it just seems very very far-fetched and kind of a weird well weird direction to go do you guys have any thoughts on this i know cj does obviously i have thoughts but i'm gonna save my rant ryan please go ahead because uh Um, probably gonna take a while no dude i think you hit the nail on the the, the, you hit it right on the, the, the head of the nail dude like what they're doing is fucking really shitty for that middle class and a lot of these amc movie theaters are in areas where people tend to not have money so that's where they go right? thank you um thank you um and i know they're doing some dumbass thing where like if you're um if you're like a member of the whatever the fuck they call it a list or whatever like you you don't have to pay that that fucking price um but yeah, I stopped going to AMC's a long time ago. The, I think the last time I went to an AMC was when I went to the Bay Area, um, and it was because the, the, that movie was only playing at that time, and my parents wanted to go see it. Um, but yeah, don't fucking give your money to companies like that, especially doing things as shitty as that. Um, so full disclosure, I am a member of the subscription to this uh, 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 theater, um, so you can take. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. What I say to a, a grain of salt, but I have been really um, mad at the, I guess I'll call it the film Twitter elitist who are sort of masturbating over the theatrical experience. Um and who have like held it in such high regard and have claimed that it is the only way to see movies and like movies are more magical when you see it and a packed theater with like kids running around and theaters that don't properly light their uh, uh, bulbs and shitty overpriced snacks with stale popcorn and sh- a shitty seat and stuff like this. And this just sort of like, this what 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 the AMC theaters is doing is 
driving me nuts. So in 2016, there was a director's roundtable with uh, Ridley Scott, Quentin Tarantino, uh, Danny Boyle, and some other people. And they were talking about how they feel like the movie industry at that point is basically fucked. And one of the things that Quentin Tarantino has said, uh, one of the only things that he has said that I have, that I fully um, agree with him on, is that uh, this this art, this this medium, uh, film, movies, and its inception was a working class man's art form. This wasn't meant to be some sort of prestige, prestigious thing uh, that you go to. It was supposed to be a small communal experience that started out as propaganda for the war and that ended up becoming escapism. And he, and he was saying back then in 2016 that we have priced out the target uh, demographic. Little did he know that the mega corporations like AMC would be doing this. This is why people don't go to movie theaters anymore. Like, this is why. Because theater chains, they are hyped up by critics and directors who can afford to go to see movies because they live in metropolitan areas like Los Angeles, like New York, like Seattle, like Chicago, like Austin, that can afford to have these quote-unquote great theatrical experiences. But, you know, for, for someone that lives in like Salt Lake City or Kansas or like in the middle of America or like even here in fucking San Diego, like not a lot of people can afford to go to the movies uh, because it's expensive. You know, tickets at your local MC run like as much as like $15 for a, for a regular uh, theater ticket. And then on top of that to charge an extra five or seven dollars for you know, preferred seating as a way to drive people to get your subscription is really gross. And it, it and it pisses me off that still these fucking people on film Twitter will like rave about how, oh, I saw, you know, uh, the North Minute and theaters in it, you know, was it the only way uh, you can see it? No, like you can see, like I've watched the North Minute, you know, on my you know, a uh, 50 inch TV and still had as good of a time as I did when I saw it in the theater. Like most of my favorite movies like Jurassic Park and Seven, I've seen at home when I was like 10 years old on a box TV and it gave me as much of a thrill. You do not have to spend your hard on money to see theatrical experience just because it's been hold up as this like religious experience and this thing that the theaters doing with fmc is just more is 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 to me feeling the the uh fire on why streaming is has become such a huge thing because you know a, a family of four is not going to want to go out to spend you know almost two hundred dollars to see the next minions movie or a or, you know, someone who is a film graduate who just got out of college who was like $60,000 in debt, they might not be able to go see, you know, the latest Wes Anderson movie, you know, because they're $50,000 in fucking debt, you know, for getting a a degree at a college that's not really gonna, going, going to carry over. So this this type of thing really, yeah, uh, makes me mad. So um, that's, that's, uh, that's uh, the end of my rant. 
Well said, man. Well said. Well said. Well said, dude. And now it's time for the weekly recommendations. CJ, did you want to uh, lead us on this one? Sure. I was watching an old school uh, zombie. Um, I discovered this movie last year, and I rewatched it again before this, and it really holds up really well. It's a film called uh, Notting Hill. It stars uh, Julia Roberts and Hugh Grant. It's written by uh, Richard Curtis, who wrote Yesterday, Love Actually, Bull Horse, uh, uh, but we'll uh, forgive him for that. Um, and it's a really sweet, old-school rom-com. It stars two movie stars. They don't make this kind of movie no more. If they did, it'd be a streaming show on Netflix that would get canceled, you know, after one season. So um, it's on, um, and ironically enough, it's on Netflix right now. So um, uh, go check out uh, Notting Hill. It's it's really sweet. It's really good. Uh, Julia Roberts is great. And then also, um, after I finished Notting Hill, right before uh, I got on to record, I was watching um, uh, the Soderbergh film, um, uh, Prokovich. Um, something uh, oh, yes yes I was watching that movie and that's a, again like that movie I looked it up that movie made 258 million dollars at the box office which would not happen um, and it got Julia Roberts her first and only Oscar um, she's really good at it that's a really good movie it's directed by Steven Soderbergh who is like one of the best directors working right now this guy who did like traffic and sex lives and videotapes and Haywire and um, Magic Mike and Side Effects and all these great movies. He's a chameleon behind the camera. Um, and uh, it's those two are really good kind of films that they do not make anymore. Because uh, they're too busy making uh, films about superheroes that nobody cares about. So uh, <laughs> go watch those two movies. Uh, Notting Hill is on Netflix and uh, Brockovich is on Amazon Prime. Ryan. Yes. Um, so I got a, a good amount of rec. Um, <clears throat> and they're all different types of media. But um, I'm going to start off with uh, a game I've been playing for a couple weeks now um, since it released on Gamecast called a Hi-Fi Rush for F- Xbox and PC. Um, it's a rhythm-based action game developed by Tango Games. Um it's like if I can put it, uh, like it's like if um, the art from Jet Set Radio had a baby with like the humor and music from Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Um, it's super easy to pick up, and like if you're like a casual video game um, <clears throat> uh, player, um, it's easy to to um, learn as well, like the the mechanics and everything. Um, yeah, it's, I've just been having a blast playing it, um, and it's cool because it features music from. Nine Inch Nails, The Black Keys, The Prodigy, uh, The Joy Formidable, and Juan. So um, if uh, rhythm-type games are your thing, check it out. It's fucking awesome. Um, and it's free on the Game Pass if you, you have the Game Pass Rex Love. Um, <clears throat> and then I've been playing Dead Space for PS5, um, the remake, obviously, of the original. Um, it's done so goddamn well. 
it's uh, just as scary as the original. Um, it might be a little bit more scary, honestly, with the the updated graphics and the sound. Um, but yeah, pick those pick those up if you can, or if you have the Game Pass on Xbox, play Hi-Fi Rush because they fucking rule. I don't know if you guys have played any of them or heard of them. Um, I've heard of the Dead Space. I've heard of the Dead Space remake purely because um, I saw something online that said John Carpenter was like raving about the game. It was going, by the way, if anybody wants, if anybody cares, I'll still direct a Dead Space movie. I believe like during the early 2000s or whenever the first game came out, he yeah. was like, I would do a Dead Space movie at the drop of a hat. And he's still like saying, I would still, you know, do a, a, a Dead Space movie um, if anybody lets me. Um, which is cool because that game, it, well, the first one is especially very much inspired by uh, John Carpenter's best film, especially like uh, The Thing mm-hmm. um, is a, probably like the most influential on that game. So um, it's cool that they're uh, remaking these games for newer, you know, uh, gamers and stuff like that. And, you know, because, you know, some of these games don't translate on these but, uh newer consoles so it makes more sense to um uh, remake them you know like the remake of uh god of war launched this new franchise that has now made uh, god of war like probably the most uh, prestigious game of the last you know a few years so yeah mm-hmm. yeah 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 check it out if you if, you, if that's your thing horror horror um, survival horror definitely uh i will say that it's unsettling the whole time like i cannot fucking be at peace for five minutes while playing that fucking game. <laughs> um, yeah, check those ones out. Um, <clears throat> my next rec is a movie we did. We were just talking about Knock the Cabin, um, obviously directed by M. Night Shyamalan, starring Dave Bautista, Rupert Grant, Abby Quinn, Jonathan Groff, Ben Aldridge, Kristen Q, and Nikki Amuka Bird. Um, I liked it a lot. I think I liked it. Um, more than the last couple of his movies um <clears throat> it's just like a super solid fucking thriller that does its job um the entire cast is also it's fucking great like everyone even rupert Grant, um he does a, a really good job uh, but dave bautista is the fucking standout like <clears throat> um he just is, is fucking doing his thing and it's awesome and refreshing to see him do these types of roles and hopefully this uh, opens the doors for um, different types of movies or more types of serious movies like this that he can do because he's definitely fucking, he definitely has it. Um, yeah, go check that out if you're able to. Um, Wes, have you seen it yet? Uh, no, I haven't. That's one that's on my list. <laughs> you said you haven't seen it, right? No, I have not seen it yet. Um, I might go later on this week, maybe, if I'm feeling sure. it with that. <clears throat> Um, and then, um, I went to go see two, so I went to go see Infinity Pool, um, directed by Brandon Cronenberg, starring Neil Goth and Alexander Skarsgård. Um, I thought it was good. Um, obviously I, I thought Possessor, um, his first flick was, was better, <clears throat> excuse me, um, but it was still enjoyable. Yeah, definitely check that out if, if you can. Um, and then, um, a movie that has kind of taken the... The uh, horror genre that's seen um, by Storm, Skinner Marine. 
I didn't get to see it in theaters. I saw it on Shutter. Um, written directed by Kyle Edward Bell. Um, it's an indie lo-fi horror flick. Um, I enjoyed it a lot. It's definitely uh, not for everyone, and I can see why. Um, if you turn it off within the first ten minutes, I can see definitely see why because it's not everyone's cup of tea. Um, but the visuals and sounds are fucking great, and um, it's great at just making you fear what you don't understand and can't see. Um, I know Wes. I think, I think you've seen it. Um, have you heard about it, CJ? Or have you have you seen it? I have heard about it. Um, a buddy of mine was raving about it on Facebook to me, so um, and it's getting pretty good reviews on uh, Letterbox. Um, so um, I might check it out. I believe I have to re up my Shutter account. I don't think I resubscribed this month, so that'll give me a reason to. <clears throat> yeah, but definitely just go in, in, into it with a very open mind because <laughs> it's it's different. Okay. I got a couple more. Um, I watched and finished all three episodes of Killing County um, on Hulu. It's uh, from Colin Kaepernick's production company. It's about the Kern County and it's about Kern County and the the Bakersfield PD. Um, it's streaming right now on Hulu. It's only three episodes. I highly, highly, highly suggest you fucking watch this show because um, it's good. And the way it's done is good. And the stories of these <clears throat> these um, people that were murdered by the by those police departments need to be told. And um, it's it's a it's a tough watch, but if, you, if you're down, I, I definitely definitely check that out. I don't know if you guys have checked it out. No, I haven't even uh, heard about it until now. I'll definitely uh, check it out. You said that's on Hulu. Yeah, it's it's a streaming right now. Uh, it's three episodes. I think they're about an hour long. Um, but yeah, definitely check that one out. And then, uh, for my last rec, <clears throat> um, I started reading Killers of the Flower Moon by David. Uh, you got him right. <laughs> it's uh, about the murders, um, in the, Os- the Osage Native American tribes during the 1920s. Um, yeah, I'm about 100 pages in and, um, I can't put it down. If you like true crime, it's definitely a must read. Um, it obviously, um, and if you don't know, it's being made into a movie. It's been kind of pushed back here and there, but supposedly it's coming out at the end of the summer or early summer of this year. Um, Scorsese's doing it, fucking starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Brendan Fraser, Lily Gladstone, Robert De Niro, and uh, Jesse fucking Clemens. So cannot wait for that shit. But uh, yeah, definitely check it out if you like crime. I have this week. What about you, Wes? What do you got for us? Uh, this week I just have two. Uh, that really stood out. <clears throat> the first one is a uh, Netflix original. It's the Pamela Love Story, which is the new doc on Pamela Anderson. Um, and basically, she's taking back the narrative that was set by the society since what, like the late '80s, early '90s. Obviously, she's a big icon. Um, had a lot of, you know kind of rough things happened to her and her career derailed and this really dives deep into that from her perspective as opposed to something like the Pam and Tommy um uh mini series which mm. kind of drifts away or or kind of focuses just on one um aspect of of her life um and they touch on that too in this doc I'm always fascinated with um 
you know, biopics or documentaries like this, because even, even if you don't really care for the person, it's just interesting, uh, to take that trip. And this one is done really, really well. And, um, I enjoyed it a lot. So check it out. It's called Pamela Love Story. And she also just released a new, um, memoir that's, uh, that's called Love Pamela, I think for anybody who's interested in that. And then my next one, I finally got to see Babylon at home uh the new damien chazelle film i thought it was really well done and i enjoyed it uh and that's all i got for rex if you guys want to jump into um uh ryan's movie focus of the week and now for the movie focus of the week so we're talking about nope this week it's rated r it's from 2022 it's a sci-fi thriller runs at two hours and 10 minutes and it's got a well-deserved 83 on rotten written produced and directed by the great jordan peele starring kiki palmer daniel kaluuya uh, steven yoon michael wincott brandon Pereira, and uh keith david and barbie keith motherfucking david that's right child all the way and barbie Ferreira. Uh, the film tells the story of a family who is suddenly uprooted when their father is mysteriously killed at their California horse ranch as Admiral and OJ recruit some help to figure out what is actually taking place around their home. The results are m- more than they could have ever imagined. The film was first announced on November 9th, 2020 as Peel's next untitled project with the most of the, with most of the writing done over the height of the pandemic Hill knew he wanted to do something specifically involving an epic spectacle and our overall addiction to danger and peril. Production took place from June to November 2021 officially and was officially released in the U.S. on July 22nd, 2022. The, uh, the film grossed $171.4 million worldwide against its $68 million budget. Although thoughts on Nope have been pretty divisive since its release, the fact of the matter is, Peel subverted everybody's expectations and made the movie he wanted to make, not the movie he thought his fans would be satisfied by. And that kind of courage should not go unnoticed. The themes are heavy, much like his other two films, however the science fiction and even neo-western tones are a welcome change to Peel's elevated horror roots. The performances throughout are top tier, with Kiki Palmer being a massive highlight and Daniel Kaluuya giving a slightly more uh, reserved and muted performance in this one. The cinematography, score, and visual effects all play key roles in creating what might not be Peel's best film, but it sure is the most ambitious, unique, and fun movie so far. Four Gordy birthday presents out of five. Thank you. (laughs) I have been for a lack of a better word, suspicious of not Jordan Peele, but of the public's reception of Jordan Peele. And what I basically mean is like, um, uh, these sort of like, uh, the, the liberal sort of white critics embrace of Jordan Peele as sort of, Priming him to be this new Hitchcock, and I've always felt like Jordan Peele, he has more in common with someone like a Joe Dante or a Wes Craven, and I got that feeling when Us came out, and I'm like, this movie is ridiculous. This is this movie is about people who live in the sewers that eat rats that want to 
take over the world by holding hands. Um, um, and the fact that that movie works as well as it does, it's actually my favorite of his movies. And this, um, this movie is, like Wesley said, it's much more ambitious than anything he's done. The scope and the scale of this movie is really intense. Um, this is, I, this is a type of movie that I call an essay movie because it feels like Peel is writing an essay about something particular and he's throwing every argument he can to, to support the essay in the film. And you can walk away from this movie. Um, it's also a film, it's also a type of film that I call a uh, bong hit movie, which is that say you have like a high roommate that's like really into movies. And once your roommate hits, uh, hits, hits, hits the bomb and starts talking about, you know, like the matrix or something like that, <laughs> like they, they like, they go into this, like this soliloquy about what the movie's actually about. And nope, seems like the type of movie that your high roommate post of post a bomb would be like, dude, like there's some shit in that movie that like will blow your mind. And like that's the type of movie that Peele makes. Like he makes movies that are layers upon layers. And he has said that this movie, he wrote this movie during the pandemic when people, when I'm sure as many of us, he was on Twitter scrolling through people, lamenting the fact that the theatrical experience was gone. And he wrote this movie as a direct response. And he said that he wrote it as a sort of dissertation on our addiction perspective and um one of the, the things that he does is he frames spectacle in the form of gordy the chimp who was this chimp that was on this uh famous sick sitcom from the 90s that the steven young character was on as a kid who goes ape shit and he uses that and what i think is a really courageous move to sort of stick the scene that basically tells the audience what the themes of the movie is and he sticks it right in the middle of the movie, which I think is a ballsy move because I feel like once you know what this movie's about, that scene is incredibly heavy-handed, I feel like, but it still works because it 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 frames itself as a as a backstory more as an explanation of what's going on. Um and to do that and to sort of have this movie be not only about the exploitation of Hollywood and trauma and how we tend to want to process trauma through entertainment, like how in the movies, Stephen Young's character processes the trauma that happened on set through merchandising it and and selling it from the exploitation of workers on films to the uh, dismissal of Black people who have worked on films as the as the the essential characters Kiki Palmer and Daniel Kaluuya play in this movie, who are two people who are the descendants of a bohemian jockey that was the, that was on the first collection of still photos to form a movie, um, uh, which which should be noted, he is not an actual bohemian jockey. That was just that's something that Peel invented, as far as I could um, research. But the the symbolism of that is like this family seemed to have been denied their place in film culture and have now seemed to rectify that by getting a shot of 
the UFO, therefore sort of um, uh, taking control of how their stories are perceived in the world. There's just so much shit in this movie that is you could fill an entire podcast with, just like we're doing right now, um, that is rich and is incredibly fulfilling if you are willing to go down that road. It's also a movie that just works as a really weird alien invasion movie. Like if you don't like if you just want to ignore all the subtext about this movie and if you just view it as a horror alien movie, it is the weirdest film. I mean it's been compared to signs, which I think does this movie a disservice because um while they're both trafficking in the same themes such as like family and conspiracy theory, this movie is so much weirder than Signs. And this movie is so much more ambitious than Signs. Um, and it's got so much more on its mind on what it wants to do visually. Like, like Wesley was saying, it wants to capture in the third act, it wants to be this sort of like neo-Western. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Um, but also be an alien movie, but also be a movie about like generational trauma, stuff like that. It, it, there's just so much in this, in, in this movie that I think is um, is worth examining. And it, will, and it uh, was a brilliant pick uh, by you, Ryan. Um, so I'll hand it over to you, I guess, to explain why you wanted to do it. <laughs> um, yeah, I did. No, I, I feel like you 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 made all the the the, the points I, I wanted to make. Um, yeah, yeah. First things first. Like I, the reason why I wanted to do this was I think you know Jordan Pill. You can definitely say he's he's the best uh, horror director that we've seen in the last like 20, 25 years. I know that's saying a lot because. Aria Astor's out there and, and um, Robert Eggers. Robert Eggers is out there as well, but I, I just feel like um, you know this three film run he's on is is up there with Carpenter's you know three real re, uh, film run of um, um, you know Halloween, The Fog, and Escape from New York, and and then you can add The Thing and you can add A Song Precinct Thirteenth before Halloween. Um, and I do the the only thing I do um, the only thing I do disagree with you a little bit on is I am one of those people that feel like he is closer to Hitchcock than he, he is those two people that you name solely for the fact that in his movies he does make you think and he does like you <laughs> you called it um, you know your 
what did you call it? You know, a bong movie. Um, yes. His movies are riddled like with with things like that, and the same with Hitchcock. Um, so that's why I think I lean more towards that he's uh, closer to Hitchcock than he is anybody else because not only does he scare the living shit out of you with his movies, um, he also makes you think, and that in return makes you scared as well. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, dude, I just feel like there's his movies are like you know it's fucking kind of typical to say it, but his movies are like fucking onions there's just so many goddamn pills to it you don't even know where to begin like even on this this is i rewatched it just a couple hours ago in my um my only my second rewatch even my second rewatch i'm like holy shit like no i'm seeing this and i'm seeing this and i get this and i get why he's doing this um and yeah i don't i, I obviously i think that get out is probably my favorite of his um and I would put this over the reason why I put this over us is because like you said, CJ and like Wes said in his, his write up, um, he just goes, he just goes for it. He does something, um, different. And I think we were talking about this CJ when, when, um, we were off air, like that's what I like to see is like when you, when people do things you're not expecting, in art yeah. like movies and music and no one was expecting a movie no, like this. yeah yeah everyone was expecting um, that that scene in in the stable with those with um jeep's kids being trying to trying to scare him that's what we were expecting and he kind of flipped everything um on us and gave us something i think better than what we were expecting um so <clears throat> I've seen this three times, including my rewatch for the show. The first time was um, in a in a regular regular theater. I saw it uh, Comic Con weekend, I believe, and I loved it. But I was still kind of grappling, like trying to break down what he was trying to say in it. And I think that that's intentional. And then I went to see it my second time uh, in IMAX, which blew me away because the sound design is fucking incredible throughout this entire thing. And then the third time I watched it, uh, at home, um, in, in 4k. And by this time I was able to, you know, the, the mystery is already been dissolved. So you can really analyze the film. And I think, um, honestly, this, this third time watching it for the show has been my, uh, my favorite experience with the film, because I felt like I understood exactly what he was trying to do from from scene to scene uh so i thought that that was pretty awesome because again going back to what cj said during our intro segments a lot of people are you know hold the theatrical experience up on this um pedestal which i mean i understand but at the same time you can experience films like this uh with a grand scope at home and still um enjoy them you know yeah and this is uh this is one that that i think it's 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 incredible because there are so many layers like ryan was saying that it's almost makes this very very scary to try to podcast about because it's like what are we gonna miss what are we gonna leave out you know because there's so much that so many angles we could come at this this um like the film from you know if that makes sense circle back to something that Ryan said that I think is extremely important to not only this movie, but to the career of Jordan Peele at all, is um, the fact that Ryan said that um, 
that uh, Jordan Peele makes the movies that he wants to see and not the movies that he thinks people expect of him. Uh, Jordan Peele has told a story in between Get Out and Us where he had just won the Oscar. He was at an Oscar party that uh, Jay-Z had hosted for him. And because uh, they kind of all knew that he might have won. And even if he didn't, they just wanted to celebrate the movie anyway. And he and Jay-Z were sort of had had sort of went off to to their own part of the party and were talking. And Jordan Peele was sort of like basically kind of in a panic mode with Jay-Z and explaining to him how like he feels immense pressure for his next movie and he doesn't know if he could live up to all this stuff. And Jay-Z was like, what do you mean? And he's like, you know, I just, you know, I just, you know, the first film out the gate, I won the Academy Award and it was like this big hit and like everybody's saying that I'm the new horse of, of, of the generation. I just don't know if I could, you know, live up to that hype. And Jay-Z was like, no, but you already did that. And it was like, no, but like, you know, like, you know, like, like, like my next movie has to be as big as the first one. And, and, and like, and like, it's, it's gotta be as impactful. And Jay-Z was like, no, like you already did that. And what Jay-Z was, was telling him is like, you've already made the film that every filmmaker wants to make. Like you've already climbed the highest mountaintop. Now you get to do whatever the fuck you want. Um, you have a, a blank check to do whatever you want. And these two films post get out us in Nope. I feel like show what Jordan Peele really wants to do. And like what he really wants to say with his movies. And um, to Ryan's point, I think it's incredibly powerful that this guy, you know, this, 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 this uh, black filmmaker gets to do, get, get, gets to tell stories on this scale and gets to do it unbeholden to whatever people have expected of him. And like he said, like, nope, is something like no one could have guessed that this film would have been his third. Like, like if you would have walked out of Get Out and like, I would have pitched you that this film, nope, is his third film, which is a group of about two, two siblings who spend the entire runtime of a movie trying to take a photo of the UFO, you would have like looked at me as if I would have said the most craziest thing to you. And yet, like, here it is, and it is, you know, I dare say even more ambitious and more layered than Get Out is because it, 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 it doesn't just go a little clear deep with the race stuff. Like, there's race stuff in it, but that movie, but the race stuff in this movie is not. Is isn't the focal point of this movie's mind? Like, there's other, there's three other other types of themes and stuff that, that you can point to. And to Wesley's point, like you come out of the movie like grappling, like it just feels, it just feels like it's like a tidal wave of stuff that just hits you when you're trying to process all of it. And it takes a couple of viewings to really like dissect what he wants to do. And I, I think it's incredibly important that you know. People get to make films like this. Like I'm reminded of um, the Daniels making um, uh, their latest movie. And that movie feels like a person going, if I only get to make one movie, this is all I want to do. And it feels like Jordan Peele it has that sensibility each time he sits down and types away. You know, that's that's the mindset he's going with for each film. What is like, if I only get to make 
you know, if this next film is my last film, what do I want to do? Uh, you know, that's that's kind of how I uh, feel about it. When I think about this movie, you know. Uh, with that being said, is there anything for, and this is for both of you, is there anything that you felt um, didn't work, or is there anything um, that that you know you you could say seemed a little off kilter, or, or you didn't care for? Um, I'll let you go. Uh, yeah, go. the only thing that I could say that I. Ne didn't necessarily like and i know i i, uh, I mean in doing my research and, and reading things online i know other people felt like this is um i wish um even you just got a little bit more screen time um yes absolutely. i know there was a there was a you know this massive story to tell um but i just feel like his story needed a little bit more um a little bit more time to be fleshed out um, but other than that, though, yeah, because it, 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 um, I feel like it almost feels unfair how much he's he's uh, short shrifted, right? Because like his character yeah. is, in my opinion, the most interesting character in this movie, and he's like the focal point of everything that this movie is trying to say. Like that 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 first scene where Daniel Kaluuya and Kiki Palmer enter into his office. And he is explaining his trauma by way of an SNL skill, right? And that seems such an odd way to sort of to filter one's experience through the trauma. Um, and then you realize that, no, like, this is how this person has processed it. And, and like, he has the only way that this person can, can, um, can process what has happened to him is he has to view it through the eyes of pop culture he has to merchandise it and the i feel like the movie is maybe a little bit isn't the movie doesn't seem to be as interested in him as it is in the kiki palmer daniel kaluuya um uh section of the movie which almost feels like a disservice again because this character is so rich and has so much going on that you want, you almost want the movie to sort of be about him and his journey, you know, because there's just so much of what the movie is trying to convey to you in terms of our addiction to spectacle and what, what we're willing to do to, you know, be awed by spectacle is, is, is uh, through him and his character often in like one of the main plots is that he has discovered a ship and he's using horses to make this ship and his intro to this show is me, my family, witness a spectacle. So you almost wish that the movie was told from his point of view. Um, but yeah, I agree that I, I kind of feel like he's a little bit short shifted in his, the way that his character's journey ends feels a little bit anticlimactic. Mm -hmm. um, but maybe that's the point. Maybe that's the point that Jordan Peele's trying to make is that there was only one way for this guy's journey to end, which is. Uh, I guess a spoiler for him to die. <laughs> I I really I think Jupe's character he didn't he didn't learn he didn't learn his lesson and right. he didn't understand the full scope of why uh he was spared by Gordy and he felt like he had this um this false connection, you know, 
where it was just because he was it was him um whereas it was really because he was focused in on that shoe that was that standing upright and not looking the chimpanzee in in his face so you know the chimp wasn't threatened by him and then when it comes over and they do the fist bump he's still there's a veil in between them so he's still Mm -hmm. um jupe doesn't ever really look him in his eyes and i feel like jupe like processing everything he just processed it differently than he should have and when he grew into this uh, you know into maturity he wanted to capitalize it on it on it and then when it comes to the jean jacket um monster he's like still trying to think he can kind of um control this big entity you know the way that he was he thought he could with um with gordy and it and it doesn't work out for him obviously and he is viciously digested (laughs) uh wesley it's only it's so interesting that you said that the way that you survived with him not looking gordy in the eyes because i had never heard that heard that that was why he survived and thinking about it that makes so much sense because the way that the characters survive is they are told do not look the alien you know do not look look at the alien uh directly you know and the way that juke dies is he looks at the alien directly you know it's 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 you know it's it's this sort of echoing feedback loop that jordan peele is able to make with you know these like like almost like subtle things that you would never thought to think about until someone points it out to you um yeah yeah that's a great observation man yeah, basically, um, w- w- the bigger picture I think that Peel is trying to say with that is you're never going to be able to fully domesticate a wild animal. And in this case, he's referring to, you know, like this unknown monster uh, as well. Uh, that's where Gordy comes in. There's a lot of, not with critics per se, but with people that I've spoke to personally, is they're like, why is the Gordy thing in this film? It does not fit. It doesn't make any sense. There's no connection. And that's the connection is Jupe's right. character and his failure to understand, you know, that you can't, you can't control things or try to profit off of them. So it just boils down to arrogance and greed, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's it, it, it's apt too because Jordan Peele said that, that one of his that two of the films that inspired him to write this movie were the original King Kong movie and Jurassic Park. In both of those movies, there's a character, and I on Facebook has have made the the. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Parallel that uh, Jupe is basically uh, Dr. Hammond in Jurassic Park and that they're both showing right? And they, and they both are trying to sell you on a this miraculous thing that happened. Like in Jurassic Park, the miraculous thing is that, like, I brought dinosaurs back to And this is something from your childhood 
that you've always dreamed about and you were taught about, but it seemed mythic and it seemed so far away. And I brought it back for your amusement and for our amusement and for us to gaze at, at these wonders. And then it turns on them and it just becomes this, this bloodiest thing. And even still in the movie, later on when Hammond and uh, Laura Dern's character are sitting eating ice cream, he's still like, no, like I think I learned my lesson and I think I can control it this time. And Lord Dern is like, you never had control. Like, you don't understand what you're, you never understood the depth of which you were fucked, basically. And that's kind of like what Jeep is going through now. Like, he, he has spent his entire life going, no, like, I'm going to process this. And the way that I process this is I'm going to commodify it and monetize it and make it into something different. And I'm going, and he ends up repeating the horrible cycle that has, you know, played him for all these years and on the opposite side you have daniel kaluuya's character who is also going through a similar thing in which she's trying to trying to uh figure out why his his dad died well like that's his big emotional journey is to figure out what this unlikely event thing is that has killed his his um his father and the way that his his sister is able to convince him to it is she's like, well, if we capture the thing that killed, you know, uh, we can make money off of it and we can become the authors of our story. And it's sort of this this sort of two parallel stories where one is trying to uh, where the, the where like they're both trying to like process it through monetization but the way that they go about it is totally uh, different i feel like and with 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 uh uh like you said with jupe is he thought that he could sort of his mistake is he thought that he could control it and that he could contain it and the the smart thing that keegan palmer and daniel Khalil realizes they're not is they aren't going to be able to capture it and monetize it and you know, the, uh, is, is that they aren't going to be able to capture the, this thing that has killed their their father. The only thing that they could hope to do is take a picture of it and control the narrative of how, of how people view their trauma, uh, which I think is is very interesting and rich. I feel like, especially today, where like trauma seems to be like a book. A like a uh, buzzword that everybody uses, you know. What are your thoughts, Ryan? But no, dude. I mean, you guys are hitting all the right points. Um, going back to like how like um, you said you had never noticed. Um, you know, Jeep didn't look at, at at Gordy in the eye, and that's why that's what that's the um, that's why he died at the in getting being killed by the the alien. Um. But something that I had noticed that I hadn't noticed on this watch is um, it was a coin that kind of essentially killed his dad. And it was a coin that essentially saved him because those all those coins were on the floor and she picked them up and started taking the pictures. Right. I don't know if you guys caught on to that. That's such like great uh, circular storytelling. Yeah. Um, and like it's, it, it, it's like subtle shit like that that you don't get. You know what I mean? Like you yeah. don't get that stuff on the first watch but you know talking about it and doing like deep, uh, deep dives as I'm sure we all did um, mm-hmm. just sort of like 
sort of untangle. Like it's it's that type of stuff that makes you appreciate this movie even more. Mm-hmm. And then just going back um, to um, even Yoon, I I think that would be like obviously like I said um, something that I would I wanted more. But I will say that I think that um, he, other than Kiki, I think he was my favorite character by far because of the the story and what um, Jordan feels trying to say about trauma, um, especially knowing that, you know, he did write it during the pandemic. Um, personally, I can relate to, you know, there's traumas that we've all had in lives in our lives right. that maybe we, right. we might not be over. And we we don't know how to, to to move past, and that's how that's why I I kind of connected with that that part of the story because um, because of that, and then just in bigger picture, like you know, like I said, he wrote that during you know the peak of the pandemic, and we were all kind of going through it, and some of us still probably haven't probably processed what we went through, and we never will. Um, so yeah, I think that, that's why I, I kind of. Um, like that, well, that like, character. Well, well, also it's telling because he wrote this, you know, like he wrote this during the pandemic, and like one of the things that like many people, like that I had brought up earlier, is that like many people were clamoring for like they were like lamenting the movies, like mm-hmm. they were lamenting going and seeing spectacle, and I feel like what what and I have sort of in the when talking about this movie, like one of the ways that I explain the themes to this movie and and uh, stay with me here is the relationship between 9-11 and the boom of the superhero film in which like when like 9-11 hit, like it, it, it's sort of like devastated the country and it like, and in many people's eyes it painted as sort of like clear black and white portrait of like we're the good guys they're the bad guys they are attacking our cities and you have to defend them and what ends up becoming a staple of all these superhero movies are there are these heroes where the bad guys come and if you notice like a lot of these superhero movies deal in a lot of 9-11 type of imagery like uh a big point of contention with the Man of Steel movie is that how the third act reminds people so much of 9-11, right? And the Avengers, like that movie, it takes place in New York during the midst of an invasion where skyscrapers are being blown apart. Like that's exactly what that movie is trying to invoke. And Jordan Peele is arguing that like this has always been our relationship with trauma and spectacle. Like there's always been this sort of like uneasy an easy handshake between trauma and spectacle and how we sort of filter and process this thing. Like a, another thing that I think about when I think about Nope is the Godzilla movies, which was a response to Hiroshima being bombed and uh, Nagasaki being bombed by the, by us. And the, the, the and, the way that the Japanese processed that was through movies, was through creating this huge monster that was sort of a stand-in for their trauma. And that's exactly what Peel is trying to pinpoint in this movie. Is that like this has always been our relationship with with trauma. So when Jupe is in our office, 
And the only way that he can talk about what happened to him is through the guise of an SNL skit, which is essentially mocking his trauma is the only way that he can, you know, recall the events is I feel like exactly what um what 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 Struto and Peel has been saying when all these people are are during the pandemic going, oh man, I just wanna go to the movies. I, I just think that people just expected this to be like, you know, I don't know what people went in expecting. I truly don't. I think the, I think that they they wanted like your run of the mill alien invasion maybe. type movie. And this maybe, is like, this is everything well, but and and I think like you guys said you you keep comparing him to 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 Hitchcock but he's for me I feel like he's a, a Rod Serling where he's his stories are essentially he's adapting Twilight Zone episodes modernized into film the reason that i compare him to joe dante and west craven and not to hitchcock is because like hitchcock was kind of the the thing that we don't like we remember hitchcock for being this sort of like cerebral guy like you know like um if you watch like uh, uh strange on the train which is like my favorite hitchcock movie there's so much cerebralness in it and but like Hitchcock at the time was thought of like how kind of like how Christopher Nolan is now like he was thought of as a populist popcorn director like people weren't really walking out of Hitchcock movies dissecting them like they were just going like oh this is the guy that makes uh, uh, thrillers and stuff like that and the reason why I compared him to something like a Wes Craven movie or Joe Dante is like like these are people who have like stuff on their minds that they are filtering through a genre lens. Like my cousin, she compared note to uh, They Live, which is I think a perfect. If you were to do a double feature, I think like of any of Jordan. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay. Round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire. Huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Field movies, to be honest, you could do worse than to do They Live, which is functioning on the same level of these movies, which is like They Live is sort of a junk, is sort of a junky kind of schlocky sci-fi movie that is really about the consumerism and the over-oppressive uh, threat of the government and communism and, um, and like, 
the rich versus the poor and how the rich fostered the poor. And it's like all this stuff is baked in to they live that that like you wouldn't get on the first like two viewings. Like your first viewing of they live, you go, oh, this is sort of a slop, a sort of like sloppy B film version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. And then like the more you watch it, the more you realize like what this movie is talking about. And I feel the same about like like uh, Wes Craven movies, like The People Under the Stairs, which is a, a sort of about the weird relationship between race and suburbia. Or, you know, it's, uh, 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 Joe Tante in Gremlins, which is sort of this, this sort of rebuke of like Christmas time consumerism and how it like tears families apart and stuff like that. What, um, um, what about uh, George A. Romero and Night of the Living Dead then? Right, right, like the same type of thing, like that, like those guys to me feel more of a piece with Jordan Peele. Um, and this isn't to say that he's not like his cock, because I think he was working on as big of a canvas as his cock, but um, I think like modern interpretations of Hitchcock of, of sort of forget what he was viewed as at the time. Like Hitchcock was viewed as a time as like a popcorn director, like... At the time when he was making like like you know like stuff like North by Northwest and like Cycle, like Hitchcock was sort of dismissed as this guy who only makes like really robust thrillers and that's it. And it's only later when like the the like French New Wave happened that like uh, directors like John uh, uh, Godard were like going like no like this guy's actually like talking about like forty and science and stuff like that and. I think it's great that we are living in a time where someone like Jordan Peele exists because he's operating at this space where, like, you know, like, you can either enjoy his films as just an alien invasion film, or you can, like, spend the time to sort of, like, dissect what these movies are about. And, like, each of his movies are about something that is beneath the surface and that is getting at something that and that is, like, really cool. And, you know, like, that's what attracted us to something like uh, Get Out, right? Like Get Out on its face was sort of this like kind of, you know, like if you take the premise of Get Out, it feels like a key, a key and Peel sketch. Like like it feels like a comedy sketch of Key and Peel that, that these guys just never made. And Peel always kept, you know, within his back pocket and like expanded. And, you know, the, the more you dig into that movie, the, the more you, like, realize that, that like, this film is, like, a, a sort of rebuke on the the sort of liberal embracing of, like, um, the, the Black experience is what that movie's about. And, like, Us is a really interesting parallel on, like, Eat the Rich. Like, it's sort of re rebuking privileged people in a very interesting way. And this is sort of combating what seems to be the buzzword of this era, which is like trauma and like, you know, or a film that we all like, like uh, the original Texas Chainsaw movie, right? Like that is a horror film that like came on the scene and like redefined horror. But most people don't know that that horror that, that, that like that horror film was based on real events. Like that was a like that was a thing that has like actually happened to people 
you know, like maybe like 10 years before. And it's based on this guy like Ed Dean who had done a similar thing. And the fact that, you know, Toby Hooper was able to take that story and turn it into spectacle is exactly what Peel is getting at here. Um, which is, I think, an incredibly smart way to approach an alien, a, a quote-unquote alien invasion movie. And to Ryan's point is like the last thing that anybody would expect him to do, you know? What do you guys, I know, I noticed CJ kind of dodged me, but, uh, so you guys don't agree about the, uh, Twilight Zone comparison at all? No, no fans of Twilight Zone on this show? No, 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 no. I do agree with the Twilight Zone. I mean, I would, my only knock against it was that he did his Twilight Zone and it didn't work. So like that would be my only knock against it is that he tried to redo Twilight Zone in that show did not get as best received as one at hope like 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 that was one of his first projects out the gate was i'm gonna do you know like i'm going to lean into the rock serling comparisons and just do my own twilight zone and it got mixed reviews um did you did you did you watch it uh no you didn't watch it uh no uh did you watch it yeah yeah was it good I, I thought that they were uh, good. I mean, essentially, tell us about it. I mean, they're they're shorts, uh, obviously. So I mean, take what would take from that what you will. But I, I thought it was decent. It was good. If you can look past, like obviously, it's a modern retelling of you know, like thing kind of like the Outer Limits or whatever. Um, like if you're if you're stuck in on the original twilight zone nothing is ever going to outdo that so that's essentially like a losing battle i think for him but for what it Mm -hmm. for what it is i thought it was good i enjoyed i enjoyed what they released um no i definitely see um comparison especially with what with rod sterling and and twilight zone what he was trying to do and what he was trying to say and um the stories he was trying to tell um so yeah, no, I definitely get that. And yeah, no, the I I um I like that new Twilight Zone. Um that's why that's why having conversations like this is good because you know, obviously CJ has his take and I have mine and you have yours. Um and I think they're all 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 three of them, all three of us make making comparisons to those different um um artists uh, are all fucking valid. I think I see a little bit in all of all of um a little bit of all of them in so, but yeah, I know that Rockstar is very, it's pretty close. <laughs> and you, and obviously he thinks the same because he, he, you know, he, what uh, Ryan just said, like supports your take, uh, Wesley on him being the one certainly because like what, what Ryan just said, like he wouldn't have remade Twilight Zone if he didn't think of himself as a modern day Rockstar. Like, you know what I mean? Like. If, if someone had brought that up to him, he probably would have been like, no, but he probably has thought of it. Yeah, you know, I kind of am like the modern day world. Uh, Rod Sterling, I should be made Twilight, you know what I mean? Uh, or, uh, you know, uh, Twilight Zone, not the horrible uh, films about uh, vampires and uh, werewolves <laughs> that my cousin my, my- apparently liked. My thing, uh, my thing to you, movie. CJ, is I would say sit down and pick maybe it doesn't matter which but pick a random random episode from the new twilight zone and just check out 
Jordan Peele doing his narration thing because I thought he was he's fucking brilliant in that. He sold me from okay. the very first episode, like how like his mannerisms and everything. Just check it out. I will watch it. Um, but do you guys think that Jordan Peele is living up to his potential when you saw Get Out, or do you think he has used the the Get Out cachet to sort of rebuke whatever? potential we have held on him because i feel like with critics and with audiences like he's been shut out of the oscars since get at it. so like the oscars have clearly kind of abandoned him and it seems like his movies are becoming more and more split between critics and the audiences it seems like especially with this one critics were more split than they are since and uh when i went to get my hair cut at a barbershop um, and this movie came up, like nobody could agree on whether or not the film was good or not. Like, you know, yeah, like one person who was like passionately saying how bad it was, and you had another person who was passionately defending it. Do you think this guy, post Get Out, has lived up to his potential, essentially? Or like, do you even think that like, that's a fair question to because, like, so far, he's, like, three movies in, and we are already, you know, like, as a contingent of the internet is going, he's the new M.I.S. Shyamalan, and that he's going to crash and burn, or he's, you know, the greatest horror guy to ever come on the, screen, uh, uh, the scene. Uh, what do you guys think? I definitely think that he's living up to the hype. Um, and like I said before, and I, I say it all the time on social media, I know I tell Wes all the time, I think I even told you, um, DJ, um, I absolutely 100% love when you they go off the rails, like when artists go off the rails, even when music, if a band changes their style, even if I don't necessarily like that album that they changed their style on, I still fucking love the fact that they went a different route and are doing new things and that's why i love um jordan peele and the movies after get out because like you stated before with that jay-z story i feel like he's doing the movies that he wants to fucking do and that's why that's what you want out of out of an artist you want them to continue to grow you don't want them to continue to do the same thing yeah if that one if that director if that band they're going to continue to make that same thing. Obviously, they're going to have fans. They're going to people are going to go and buy those those tickets to those movies or go <clears throat> buy those albums. Um, but it shows a lot in in the person and the artist when they can um, evolve into um, what Jordan Pill is evolving now with 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 no. Uh, what about you, Wesley? That's a good take, Ryan. Uh, first off, I want to just say the fact that Nope was completely snubbed uh, by the Academy is is incredible. I don't, I don't, I can't even fathom why. Um, I can explain it. Oh, uh, <laughs> I'll do it later. Uh, because I don't think Nope is a, in a traditional horror film. So to say to to use that argument, I don't think it it, it um, necessarily pertains to to nope uh, other movies yes maybe but not not this one um and you would think that the 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 grand scale of the movie alone would get it in for something 
but to not to be snubbed completely is is ridiculous um to, to go back to your question cj yes and i i know you you already probably can anticipate where this is going to go but i think that he is living up to to expectations or maybe to his personal expectations i think he's doing what he wants uh to do as an artist as a creator and um he's doing a great job he's on a, a very hot run and i i hope he can you know keep it up i just think that the the creativity between these three films that he's released so far like if he can keep that stride going um it's he's going to keep uh cranking out bangers you know and um i have all the faith in him and i just hope that uh critics and these divisive takes on his films because they're not per se what we're expecting because it happened even with us a lot of people were like what the fuck is this this is dumb or whatever you know and it's because mm-hmm. he's dealing with these high concept pieces that go over a lot of people's heads and uh nope is a great example of that i feel like uh people just kind of absorbed it as this like monster movie and it's so much more than Mm -hmm. that um and but not all not all media not all art is made for everyone you know and i feel like he has built this substantial loyal following that's gonna to follow him and um if we are going to go down that rabbit hole of uh, comparing him to to M Night Shyamalan, I think that he's doing what Shyamalan uh, w- wish like w- like he is in his career right now where Shyamalan wished he could be, if that makes sense. And that's just my take. That's just my opinion. No, no, that's a hundred percent. I think fucking fair to 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 say and to point out. So sort of explain why. I think Nope got shut out on the on the Oscars. I was talking to a buddy of mine on Facebook, and we were discussing how new talent that sort of explodes on the scene, whether it be like Jordan Peele or Damien Chazelle or um, uh, Barry Jenkins, how they often get shut out after the movie that sort of makes them um, twinkle. <gasps> in the Academy's eye. So like for Barry Jenkins, like Moon was obviously the film that like captured the Academy's attention. He won best adapted screenplay and best supporting actor and best picture for it. It was like a huge thing. Uh, Damien Chazelle won best director for La La Land and Jordan Peele won best Academy Award screenplay for Nope. And then the, the next movies on off three of those films with Damien Chazelle, who was first man with Barry Jenkins. It was It Feels Free to Talk with Gordon Peele. It was Us. All, those movies all sort of got shut out because it was sort of the expectations thing that Ryan laid out earlier. And the film is in the podcast is that like these institutions and these and the audience members and the critics have very specific uh, expectations on what they want from their directors. I am remembered of John Singleton talking about how post Boys in the Hood, like everybody expected him to be the Boys in the Hood guy to make similar films like Boys in the Hood. And his next film that he does is Porting Justice, which is a total like turn on what 
people expected from him. And it's this crazy thing where if you are this young talent and you explode on the scene and you get, you know, like John Singleton, you are the you are the youngest person to get nominated for best the director and best screenplay. Like you have all this weight of expectations on you, and your instinct is to pivot. Like with like with uh you know, and some people like Quentin Tarantino with Pulp Fiction who wins the Oscar and who immediately pivots the other way to Jackie Brown and it and it does not work out and you reverse course back to where you're comfortable with and you just make that your your career or you do what Jordan Peele has been doing. And he's like, okay, you didn't you did not embrace me when I made us. Okay, I'm just gonna keep making movies that I wanna see. And if you invite me to your club, that's fine. But if not, I'm still gonna make movies that uh, that I want to see, and I worry about like you know like people like uh, the Daniels with their latest film, and like if they're if the film that they make after everything everywhere is going to be shut up by the Academy again and by critics because it's going to be like well this isn't what I expected you to make you know like when you mess with people's expectations they feel you know uh, uh, a sense of hurt. And to Ryan's point, like I think that's that's sort of the key to unlocking Peel is he feels he doesn't feel burdened by other people's expectations. And to answer my own question, um, I don't know if he's lived up to the hype that we have put on him, but he is doing what he wants to do, and I think that is infinitely more interesting um, than whatever expectations we have put on him post Get Out. Um, I don't think that anybody walking out of Get Out expected him to make us and Nope next. But the fact that he did proves that he is willing to grow. As as Ryan has said, it has proved that he is willing to grow as a filmmaker, and I think that is what makes him probably one of the top five most interesting filmmakers, most interesting American filmmakers working today. I think right next to Denny Villeneuve, CJ. Uh, don't fucking, why do you have to do that? We were all having a good time, and you have to bring up that fucking hat. Didn't even let me get the fuck out of here. Making making these slow ass, you can feel, you know what my take on Dune is? Uh, uh, you're gonna love this one. Dune is Star Wars on Prozac. That's what Dune is. You know what? Like I said, it's good to have uh, multiple voices in these types of conversations. <laughs> Wesley's just doing that just to get a rise. That's all he's doing. <laughs> That's all he's doing. All right, gentlemen, is that all we have on, on Nope? Is there any, any other closing thoughts besides go watch this if you haven't already? I think it's streaming. It's streaming now on uh, Peacock, and you can pick it up for um, on Apple Digital. For ten bucks right now, it's on sale. That's a steal. Let's talk about next week um, or next week's episode, I should say. We're gonna do. Uh, we're doing John Singleton's Higher Learning, and CJ. Holy will, shit! Will be returning as our guest. That's about. So, uh, uh, drop in, uh, listeners. If you hated me on this one, you're gonna hate me even more on uh, Higher Learning. <laughs> Can I just briefly explain why I wanted to do higher learning? 
Wesley, if that's okay. Yeah, sure. First off, I feel like John Singleton is a filmmaker that we have all sort of sort of collectively decided not to talk about, which is weird because he's probably, I would say, say the most influential, maybe the most in, maybe the most influential black director ever. I mean, you can make an argument of Spike Lee, but you know, I, to me, the most successful director right now is Ryan Coogler in terms of like box office and critical acclaim and I feel like Ryan Coogler is operating much more in a John Singleton space than he is in a Spike Lee space and Higher Learning is a film that I don't think anybody if you know it you have like I was talking to my cousin about that movie and he actively hates that movie he's like oh it's so on the nose and it just you know and that movie has its Defenders, I'm one of them, and I feel like that movie is slept on by how relevant it is. We'll go, we will go through it when we talk about it next week. But that movie is highly relevant in what it's trying to say, and I just feel like it's it's a spotlight from a director that we have kind of forgotten about, a director who in the '90s was heralded as a voice of the generation, and his voice began to fade. Because he fell prey to something that Jordan Peele has kind of also fallen prey to, which is the expectations of what we expect you to make. Like post Boys in the Hood, people expect him to keep making films like Boys in the Hood. And he just kept, and, and John Singleton just kept denying them that, that um, expectation, and none more so than I think I learned. Um, so I'm excited to talk about it with you two next week. Um, like I said, it, 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 it's a film of his that nobody brings up. Like nobody realizes that he made this film. So I'm interested to see how many of your listeners go out and seek it. It's on Amazon Prime right now. If you want to watch it and preview for the show, nice. That's a good little teaser for next week, man. I appreciate that. All right, you two. This was a lot of fun, uh, as always. Thank you for making time for the show. This was an incredible conversation. Um, I know on our best of, we did, me and Chris did talk a little bit about Nope, but it was awesome to kind of expand on those thoughts with you too. I think this was very, um, um, uh, we did it justice in my opinion tonight. So I thank you both for that. As per usual, for all our listeners out there, um, if you're just stumbling upon this podcast, we run out of uh, San Diego, California. We are called the Drop the Mic Podcast, and we are available on all major podcast platforms, including Luminary, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Sodes, uh, YouTube. If it plays a podcast, we're on it. So check us out. Give us a five-star rating, a little nice review if you have a couple extra seconds. Um, that all matters and keeps us going. And yeah. and on top of that, they are endorsed by Kevin Smith, <laughs> the god to you nerds. So uh, you know. So until next week, this is uh, the Swan, Ryan Jimenez, and CJ Stevenson signing off, saying good fight, good night. Yeah, you fuckers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Test for a Verizon commercial, so 
during the Jeep celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15,178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.